Hello everyone, welcome to Knox Bedtime Stories. I'm your friend Joey, here with another episode to help you relax, feel safe, and fall asleep. It's about 2am here. I hope you all had a great week and accomplished your goals. If not, it's okay, and everything is going to be okay. We're going to get calm, relaxed, put the day behind us, and read the first of three episodes of Peter Pan, which I didn't think I'd like because it was originally a play. Well, apparently they made a book out of the play, and I actually really enjoyed it. Patreon listeners will also be getting Glinda of Oz chapters 14 and 15, The Diamond Swan and The Sorceress. If you're wondering why this episode is out a few hours later than usual, I decided to drink an iced coffee on my bed while writing and I'm on a new antipsychotic called Zyprexa. Well, it put me to sleep and the coffee spilled and it looks like I took a shit and rolled around on my bed. So, I hope you're doing better than me today. Tonight. I have a cool good news story about turning plastic into vanilla. While that might sound disgusting, most vanilla comes from fossil fuel, not from vanilla beans, so it's kind of a good thing. If this is your first time here, welcome to the Knox family. I hope I'm able to bring you some calm, comfort, and a good night's sleep. If you enjoy the podcast and it helps you sleep, and you want extra episodes, books, shoutouts, your name posted on KnoxBedtimeStories.com, please join Patreon for Knox Bedtime Stories. Another thing you should consider is, I work my ass off on these, researching happy stories, music, and sound effects, that will give you the best sleep possible. So, if you would like to become a patron for as little as $2 a month, you can do so by going to KnoxBedtimeStories.com and clicking the Patreon button or Patreon.com forward slash KnoxBedtimeStories. It really helps keep the show running and I need some upgrades bad. From here on out, nothing exists except you, me, this beautiful fireplace, and the bed, couch, or floor you're laying on. As always, I'm going to ask you to like and follow our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash stories and instagram.com forward slash stories. Leave a 5-star review on Apple Podcast, and most of all, if you can interest anyone in joining Patreon, please do so. Now, for tonight's good but weird news story, to take your mind off of today's crappy news, this is titled, Scientists Convert Plastic Waste into Vanilla Flavoring. In the future... Your vanilla ice cream may be made from plastic bottles. Scientists have figured out a way to convert plastic waste 
into vanilla flavoring with genetically engineered bacteria, according to a new study. Vanillin, the compound that carries most of the smell and taste of vanilla, can be extracted naturally from vanilla beans or made synthetically. About 85% of vanillin is currently made from chemicals taken from fossil fuels, according to The Guardian. Vanillin is found in a wide variety of food, cosmetic, pharmaceutical, cleaning, and herbicide products. And the demand is growing rapidly, the authors wrote in the study. In 2018, the global demand for vanillin was about 40,800 tons, and it's expected to grow to 65,000 tons by 2025, according to the study published June 10th in the journal Green Chemistry. The demand for vanillin far exceeds the vanilla bean supply, so scientists have resorted to synthetically producing vanillin. For the new study, researchers used a novel method to convert plastic waste into vanillin as a way to both supply the vanillin and reduce plastic pollution. Previous studies showed how to break down plastic bottles made from polyethylene terephthalate into its basic subunit known as terephthalic acid. In the new study, two researchers at the University of Edinburgh in Scotland genetically engineered E. coli bacteria to convert terephthalic acid into vanillin. Terephthalic acid and vanillin have very similar chemical compositions and the engineered bacteria only needs to make minor changes to the number of hydrogens and oxygens and are bonded to the same carbon backbone. The researchers mingle their genetically engineered bacteria with terephthalic acid and kept them at 98.6 degrees Fahrenheit for a day, according to The Guardian. About 79% of the terephthalic acid subsequently converted into vanillin. The global plastic waste crisis is now recognized as one of the most pressing environmental issues facing our planet, the authors wrote in the study. About 1 million plastic bottles are sold every minute around the world, and only 14% are recycled, according to The Guardian. Those that are recycled can only be turned into fibers for clothing or carpets. Okay, now let's get into bed. Say to yourself, My bedroom is a safe place of peace and relaxation. When I enter this room and crawl into bed at night, today's thoughts naturally begin to soften. My burden lightens and sleep is coming. Let's get to tonight's story, Peter Pan, part one of three, set to sleep-inducing music, and this beautiful fireplace. If you're not already laying down, please do so in whatever way is comfortable. And let's begin. Golden slumbers kiss your eyes, 
Smiles await you when you rise. Sleep, pretty darling, do not cry, and I will sing a lullaby. Part 1 Early Days In one of the nicest nurseries in the world, there were beds for three young people called John Napoleon and Wendy Marat Angela and Michael, the children of Mr. and Miss Darling. The nursery was wide and airy, with a large window and a bright fire with a high fire guard round it and a big clock and prettily colored nursery rhyme pictures over the walls. It was in many ways the most interesting household. For one thing, although there was a pretty little parlor maid called Liza, the children were bathed and dressed by a big dog called Nana, whose kennel was kept in the nursery. On the evening on which our story begins, Nana was dozing peacefully by the fireside, with her head between her paws. Mr. and Miss Darling were getting ready to go out to dinner, and Nana was to be left in sole charge of the children. Presently, the clock went off with a whir and struck one, two, three, four, five, six. Time to begin to put the children to bed. Nana got up and stretched herself and carefully switched on the electric light. You would have been surprised to see how cleverly she managed to do that with her mouth. Then she turned the bedclothes neatly down and hung the little pajamas over the fire guard. She then trotted up to the bathroom and turned on the water. After feeling it with her paw to make sure that it was not too hot, she went off to look for Michael, who, being the youngest of the three children, must go to bed first. She returned immediately with him sitting astride on her back, as though she were a pony. Michael, of course, did not want to be bathed, but Nana was firm, and taking him to the bathroom, shut the door so that he should not be in a draft. Then, Miss Darling came to peep at him as he splashed about in the nice warm water. Whilst Miss Darling was in the nursery, she heard a wee noise outside the window. A tiny figure, no bigger than a little boy, tried the window latch and vanished suddenly at her cry of surprise. She flung the window open, but there was nothing to be seen, nothing but the dim roofs of the neighboring houses and the deep blue sky above. She began to frighten herself with eerie bogey tales, for the same thing had happened the day before, when Nana had gone to the window and shut it down so quickly that she had cut off the boy's shadow. Miss Darling had found it in Nana's mouth and had carefully folded it and put it away. But she soon felt reassured when her children came in together in answer to her call. 
John, Napoleon, and Wendy were playing at their favorite game of being father and mother, and Miss Darling's beautiful face beamed with delight as she listened to them. Suddenly, in rushed Mr. Darling, very much excited because, and he was soon skipping about the room with Michael on his back, dropping him finally into his bed with a big bumpa, with Michael sitting on her back. Unfortunately, in going to the bathroom, Nana accidentally brushed against Mr. Darling's beautifully pressed black trousers and left some of her gray clinging hairs upon them. Now, no grown person likes hairy trousers, so Mr. Darling was very cross with Nana and spoke of dismissing her. But Miss Darling told him about the weird apparition at the window, how Nana had barked at it and shut the window down so fast that its shadow had been cut clean off and left behind. She showed him the shadow and told him how glad she was to have such a treasure as Nana for a nurse. You see how very useful Nana is, concluded Miss Darling, as the faithful dog came in with Michael's bottle of cough mixture. But Michael was naughty and would not take it. There was a fine fuss over it when Wendy, being a clever little girl, hit on a brilliant idea. Father should take some of his medicine to keep Michael company. Very well, said Mr. Darling. We shall see who is the braver. Two glasses were fetched and filled in a moment. One, two, three, cried Wendy. Michael took his like a man, but Mr. Darling only pretended to and quietly hid the glass behind his back. John caught him in the act. Father hasn't taken his. He cried and Michael, seeing that he had been tricked, burst into a loud boo-hoo-hoo. Mr. Darling, to appease Michael, thought of what seemed to him an excellent joke. He poured his medicine into Nana's drinking bowl, and when poor Nana, thinking that it was something nice, ran eagerly to lap it up, he roared with laughter to see the reproachful eyes she turned upon him. The children loved their old nurse very dearly, were terribly distressed as she slunk to her kennel looking as woeful and as hurt in her feelings as ever a dog did. Mr. Darling, angry that they did not enjoy his joke in the least, coaxed Nana out of her kennel, seized her by the collar, and dragged her off in disgrace to be chained up in the yard, the proper place for dogs, he said in spite of the persuasions and pleadings of them all. Miss Darling comforted the children, kissing them very tenderly as mothers always do, tucked them into their beds, sang them to sleep, and leaving the night lights burning for company, 
crept softly out of the room to go to the dinner party with Mr. Darling. Everything in the big nursery was now still and quiet. Suddenly, the night lights flickered, waned, and went out one by one, and there darted into the room a tiny ball of fire, which flitted uneasily about and finally vanished into a jug. Then, the same slender graceful figure that had so startled Miss Darling leapt from the darkness outside the window. There was just one click, the window was open, and the little creature stepped cautiously in. He seemed to be looking for something, and you will easily guess that what he was looking for was his shadow. Tink, where are you? he whispered. And as then the light shone on the jug he went on, Tink, do you know where they have put it? Now this little ball of light was really a fairy girl who knew everything worth knowing. Most fairies do. All you could see of her was a little flame, but you could hear her distinctly. She made a tinkling noise like a little silver bell, and that was why she was called Tinkerbell. Tinkerbell at last rested a few moments on the second drawer of the nursery dresser. Instantly, the boy ran joyfully to it, and pulling open the drawer, snatched open his shadow, neatly rolled up just as Miss Darling had left it. He had found it certainly, but the next trouble was to put it on again. A happy thought struck him. He would stick it on with soap. A happy thought struck him. He would stick it on with soap. Sitting on the hearthrug, he soaped his feet, and when he soaped his shadow, but whichever way he soaped, they would not stick together. There's no use in having a shadow if it will not stick to you. After trying and trying in vain, the poor little fellow gave up the attempt, buried his face in his hands, and sobbed despairingly. It was then that Wendy awoke. She sat right up in bed, and not at all frightened, said, Little boy, why are you crying? The elfin creature sprang to his feet, and taking off his cap, bowed very politely. Wendy curtsied in return, though she found it a difficult thing to do in a bed. What's your name? asked the little boy. Wendy Marah Angela Darling. What's yours? Peter Pan. Where do you live? Second turning to the right and straight on till morning. This seemed to Wendy a very funny address, but she was all sympathy when she heard that Peter had no mother. No wonder he was crying, but that was not the reason for Peter's tears. He was crying because he could not get his shadow to stick on. This made Wendy smile, and she emphatically declared that soap was no good. It must be sewn on. Shall I do it for you, she suggested. 
and jumping out of bed to get her work basket, she set to work at once. It hurts a good deal to have a shadow sewn to your feet, but Peter bore it bravely. It was the right thing to do, for the shadow held on beautifully, and Peter so delighted that he danced up and down the nursery, watching it making patterns on the floor as he flung his arms and legs about. Oh, the cleverness of me, cried Peter, overcome with joy, and he crowed with pleasure for all the world just as a cock would crow. You can see, exclaimed Wendy indignantly. Of course I did nothing. Oh, you did a little. A little? If I am no use, I can at least withdraw, she said, jumping back into bed and covering her head in a dignified way with the bedclothes. Oh, Wendy, please don't withdraw, Peter exclaimed. Oh, Wendy, please don't withdraw, Peter exclaimed in great distress. I can't help crowing when I'm pleased with myself. One girl is more used than twenty boys. That was rather clever of Peter, and these sensible words, Wendy got up again. She even offered to give Peter a kiss if he liked. Peter looked puzzled, but seeing the thimble on Wendy's finger, he thought she meant to give him that, and he held out his hand for it. Now, Wendy saw at a glance that the poor boy did not even know what a kiss was, but being a nice little girl of motherly disposition, she did not hurt his feelings by laughing at him, but simply placed the thimble on his finger. The shadow held on beautifully. Peter admired the thimble very much. Shall I give you a kiss? he asked and jerking a button off his coat solemnly presented it to her. Wendy at once fastened it on a chain which he wore round her neck and forgetting the puzzle in his mind she once more asked him for a kiss. Immediately he returned the thimble. Oh I didn't mean a kiss I meant a thimble. What's that he asked. It's like this, replied Wendy, and gently kissed his cheek. Wendy gently kissed his cheek. Oh, cried Peter, how nice. And he began to give her thimbles in return. And afterwards, he called a kiss a thimble, and a thimble a kiss. But Peter, how old are you, continued Wendy. I don't know, but quite young. I ran away the day I was born. Ran away, why? Because I heard my father and mother talking about what I was to be when I became a man. I don't want to be a man. I want always to be a little boy and have fun. So I ran away and lived among the fairies. Wendy was almost speechless with delight at the thought of sitting beside a boy who knew fairies, and after a minute said, Peter, do you really know fairies? Yes, 
but they're nearly all dead now. You see, Wendy, when the first baby laughed for the first time, its laugh broke into a thousand pieces, and they all went skipping about, and that was the beginning of the fairies. And now, whenever a newborn is born, its first laugh becomes a fairy. So, there ought to be a fairy for every little boy and girl, but there isn't. You see, children know such a lot now. They soon won't believe in fairies, and whenever a child says, I don't believe in fairies, there's a fairy somewhere that falls down dead. Peter suddenly looked about the room as though he were searching for something. Tinkerbell had disappeared. Before he could grow anxious, however, a tinkling of bells was heard, and Peter, who knew the fairy language, of course understood it. He pulled open the drawer in which his shadow had been hidden, and out sprang Tinkerbell. Very angry with him for shutting her up accidentally in the drawer, she skipped about the room, but Wendy gave such a cry of delight that Tink was frightened and hid behind the clock. But Peter, continued Wendy, if you don't live with the fairies, where do you live? I live with the lost boys. Who are they? Why, they are the children who fall out of their perambulators when their nurses are looking the other way. If they are not claimed within seven days, they are sent far away to the never, never, never land to defray expenses. I'm their captain. Oh, what fun. But Peter, why did you come to our nursery window? Peter told her that he came to listen to the lovely stories Wendy's mother related to her children, for the lost boys had no mothers and no one to tell them any stories. He also told her how he led them against their enemies, the pirates and the wolves, and how they enjoyed bathing in the lagoon where beautiful mermaids sang and swam all day long. I must go back now, he went on. The boys will be anxious to hear the end of the story about the prince and the glass slipper. I told them as much as I knew, and they're longing to hear the rest. Wendy begged him to stay. I'll tell you lots more, she promised. Ever so many stories if you'll only stay. Come, Wendy, exclaimed Peter, struck with a new idea. You can tell us the stories there, and darn our clothes, and tuck us in at night. None of us has ever been tucked in. All the boys long for a mother. Oh, Wendy, do come. It was a tempting idea to Wendy, but a sudden thought came across her mind. Peter, I can't. Think of mummy. Besides, I can't fly. I'll teach you, Wendy. This was too much for her. Peter, will you teach John and Michael to fly as well? Yes, if you like. 
So John and Michael were awakened, and directly, they heard that there were pirates in the Never 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 Land. They began to clamor to go at once. They watched Peter fly about the room, and tried to imitate him, flipping their arms clumsily, at first like unfledged birds, and flopping about all over the place. That will never do, Peter said. I must blow the fairy dust on you. Now waggle your shoulders as I do. So they tried and found that they could fly, just a little at first, from the bed to the floor and back again, then over the bed and across the room, and then they grew braver almost as freely and easily as Peter himself. Tink, lead the way, called Peter, and the fairy shot out like a little star. None of the children had time to put on their day clothes, but John snatched his top hat as he flew out the window, followed by Michael. Peter had held Wendy's hand, and away they floated into the dark blue depths of the starry night. A minute afterwards, Miss Darling, who had returned from the party, rushed into the nursery with Nana at her heels, for Nana had been anxious about her charges, and had just succeeded in breaking her chain. But it was too late. The children were already on their way to Never 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 Land. Away they floated. The arrival of Wendy. Thank you all for listening. If you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe and leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. If you found the show helpful and want to make sure it's around for others to enjoy, please go to KnoxBedtimeStories.com and click the Patreon button. There are various rewards and it ensures that the show will be here every Monday for a long time to come. I wish you all a good night's sleep and a happy peaceful life. May the best of your todays be the worst of your tomorrows. Good night.